The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. If you have a Bible, um, if you don't have one, we have one out there. Uh, You can also get uh, the ESV app on your phone to follow along. Uh, But we're going to pick up in Matthew 8. Uh, So if you have your Bible, here's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking at Matthew 8, verse 1, through uh, Matthew 9, 34. So it's a big section. And so typically what I would do is I would read it up front, and we're going to read this as we go along rather than reading it up front because it's a long section, and I think it would more, uh, make more sense to read it as we move through this incredible moment in Jesus' life. So what we are going to do is pray, ask for God's help, and then we are going to look at God's Word together. Uh, Father, as we, as we look at this section, as we pick up in Jesus' life right after he has finished the Sermon on the Mount... Father, we look at a king who's compassionate and merciful and powerful, and so we ask that you would fill us with joy as we look at him and that we would depend on him. So it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the struggles that we have when we look at the Bible is uh, that the world that the Bible lives in is so incredibly different than what we experience. And I've been thinking about this lately um, regarding uh, political power and changes in, pol- in politics. So just recently, uh, the mayor from Manchester uh, came in and visited my office space, and she didn't drop in to say hi to me for some reason, but um, she came through, and it, but it had me thinking that, you know, the reality is that we had a mayor shift in Manchester, and a part of, like, apart from, like, some policy shifts that we may experience in the next few years, like nobody got killed, <laughs> no riots in the street, no major, it, we didn't really experience any day-to-day changes in our life, right? And the same with presidents, right? At any level of government, the, the wheels of democracy turn very slowly, don't they? And so we don't really experience the shift of presidents, even if we like them or not, that doesn't really matter. Like we still make money, we still pay our bills, we, all that's Pretty copacetic, same stuff. In the ancient world, what happened is that the king was the living law. He was the law that lived, and anything that happened was on his authority and what he said went down. And so from uh, in the ancient world, what would happen is a king overnight could totally change the policy of a country, right? So you see this specifically like in the English monarchs. If you ever look at like uh, the UK and their history of the monarchs, you would have like a Protestant king who would uh, be putting in Protestant uh, values of, you know, the state church for Protestants and all that stuff, and then he dies, and next day his daughter, like, for example, uh, Mary, uh, Queen Mary II would come in, and the next morning be, to be a Protestant is illegal, and they would start executing Protestants and put the Catholic Church in place. So it's, it's it, overnight things could change, and you see that a lot in uh, African countries today where the democracy is changing, or kings are changing over left and right. So the power could shift overnight. And we see that going on with Jesus' life here because Jesus has just given his inaugural address, hasn't he? He's just basically said, here's what it means for me to be king. Here's what it means for me to be uh, among my people. Here's what my kingdom looks like. And we just looked at what it, the joy-filled, grace-filled, father-centric view of the Christian life that Jesus has laid out, right? Where, yes, there's hard times. Yes, there's things we struggle with. But our Father is with us, and he's going to reward us, and he's down in the dirt with us in our lives to help us not only be safe from our sin, but to renew us with the new creation. Right? That, that's where Jesus' sermon has just ended. And so he just walked off the mountain, and so what Matthew's trying to do for us next, and this next section is to lay out, okay, not only is he 
a wise king, but he's a powerful king, right? The newness of his kingdom, of who he is and what it means for Jesus to be in charge, it's not just a Yoda <laughs> giving out some good wisdom, but he's a powerful king who comes with his own power on his own terms, right? So that's why we're looking at this huge section because uh, the reality is uh, from chapter 8, verse 1 to 9, 34, this 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 section contains half of all of Matthew's miracles about Jesus' life, right? So just kind of looking like, why are we kind of structuring this all together? Well, Matthew has intentionally put these all together so that half of all the miracles of Jesus' life is right here in, the, in this chapter and a half, almost two chapters. And then all through it, as we're going to pick up this, uh, as we go through, Jesus' authority continually gets hammered on. Like people are, they're, they're, recognizing Jesus' authority, they're, recogni- they're reconciling, like, okay, how can one man do all this stuff, right? The things that Jesus, the, the, the stories that we have in here, we could break them down one by one, but you have the healing of the leper, the centurion servant, right? We have the uns- uh, the fevers, right, that he, he heals, the just normal day stuff, sins that he forgives, storms that he calms, demons that he exercises and gets out of people, chronic suffering that he fixes, blind- gives people sight to blind eyes, Ears that they didn't have before, right? They couldn't hear. Ears, and then not only that, but he raises a a little girl from the dead, right? We could break these down one by one, and I think there's a lot of value to that. But there's a big picture of what's going on here. Because here we have Jesus coming down the mountain, and what does it mean to live in the power of his kingdom? Well, for disciples, it means that we depend, we joyfully depend on the king's power. We joyfully depend on the king. That's, if you're thinking, what's the main point get out of here, go home tonight after watching the, the closing of the Olympics. What's the main point of what we're looking at this morning? Disciples joyfully depend on the king. That's the main point of what we're looking at. So as we look at that, joy, as disciples joyfully depend on the king, we're just going to pick up, we're going to divide this passage, as you would expect in any sermon, three sections, right? We're going to pick up and we're going to go through three sections because here's the pattern that happens, right? He has healing, 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 teaching. Healing, 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 teaching. Healing, 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 main point. All right? So we're going to look through the first uh, 22 verses on this. Joyfully, disciples joyfully depend on the king, which means that we joyfully depend in unexplained pain. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read through these, and we're just going to kind of comment on them and circle back and see the main point here, okay? So when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was clean, was cleansed. Jesus said to him, See that you go say not, say that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So here's what's going on. In that time, leprosy was a death sentence, and you better not touch anybody because you would potentially infect them, right? You would not only infect them, but then in terms of like the temple worship and going to church, you would make them unclean. So they couldn't even enter into the temple to go worship worship God because you would touch them. They were, they'd been around something that was unclean. It was a defilement of the human body to say, okay, the human body's falling apart. This is not good as an honor, honor God. Don't be, so they would, they would have leprosy colonies because they would be, look, don't come near here. You can't come back. Never touch anybody ever again. And so you have this drama of this man who, if we look at the other gospel accounts, probably has never been touched 
haven't experienced a hug, a handshake, friendly contact with anybody for 20, 30 years. And he risks everything because he could have been stoned or killed for entering the community. And he kneels down before Jesus. He said, would you heal me? And then do you, with that in mind, verse 3, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. See, not only is that Jesus' compassion, but Jesus is trading places with him. Jesus is becoming unclean by touching. Jesus is taking on the man's position and cleansing him and healing him and giving him his position. That's the gospel right there, right? Jesus takes on our sin and our darkness so that we can take on his place. So it's not just kind of like Jesus is really powerful, but he's entering into the drama of this man's life. So here, Jesus not only enters in, but you notice the one thing we're going to notice with these stories. He doesn't give an explanation. Why has this man suffered? What's going on? He, Jesus knows, but he doesn't, he doesn't explain it. But Jesus is the one whose power heals. So let's pick up in verse 5. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering horribly. Wow, but you, suffering horribly. He's a servant of this general, effectively. But the centurion, he said to him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority. My soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, no one in Israel, and no one in Israel have I found such faith. We'll just pause there. There's only two moments in Jesus' life where it says that he marveled. One was at the lack of faith of Israel, and this is the only positive example where Jesus, I mean, so if you saw the, the latest Black Panther, like you're like, what an incredible movie, right? You marvel at it. You mar- this is the only moment where Jesus, you marvel at it. Ah, you like that connection? <laughs> This is the only moment where Jesus, you can see Jesus almost like mouth agape. Like, can you imagine? We think of Jesus very kind of stoic, maybe happy, the smiling Jesus. He is, I've never seen this faith in Israel. I tell you, many will come from east and west to receive at the ta- and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown in, into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So you there's a hands-on healing that Jesus has done with the leper, and there's a hands-off healing where Jesus healed this servant. Just imagine with me, there's a part of this drama we just kind of need to speculate about. There's a, a general who's concerned about a servant in his house, paralyzed. Like for them, it was like, okay, next one. But somehow this guy had value and he cared. And he was concerned about his servant. And Jesus says, okay, yeah, I'll come. He says, no, no, no. I, I know what it's like to have authority. Uh, and you clearly have authority over everything. So just say the word and it'll be done. <laughs> like, you know, like if there's ever like a problem that I need to solve, it's not like, okay, um, fixed. Jesus says, okay, fixed. 
But you notice, again, how did the guy get, get paralyzed? How did he get hurt? What was the relationship between him and the general? There's no, there's no explanation. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our diseases. So this is a bit of like the day in the life of Jesus. I mean, she has a fever. Like, how many of us have had a fever this winter, right? Just kind of a common cold, something, you know. By the way, that's why we have all the hand sanitizers in the hallway. Not sharing Jesus, not germs. Um, but Jesus entering into the day of the life of people. Like, just a regular suffering, but healing, but not giving a... See, the, the way we like healing to happen or the cures to happen... Like, I just went to the doctor this last week for a cold... And I'm trying to explain to the doctor, like, here's my cold, here's my children, give me an explanation, like, what's going on? Why do I got this? Um, I, want, I want an explanation, not only the healing, but I want the comfort of knowing how did this happen so we can avoid this. <laughs> Jesus, he doesn't enter into that. He knows, but he said, no, you're, I'm going to heal you. My power stabilizes your life, heals you, but you only need me. You don't need full explanation. You don't need the full reasons for why. But you can see how this would affect the people around him. Oh, sorry, I got caught on something here. You see how this would affect the people. You, people, disciples are watching Jesus, and they're like, holy cow, he's, uh, he's healed leprosy, which would effectively be like raising the dead. Um, he's healed a servant without being on site. Um, and he's provided for all their daily needs. Seems like being a disciple's got some perks. <laughs> you're watching, you're like, wow, like this power, like uh, I could go to the temple and go to these guys who do all these animal sacrifices and then I have to come back a month later and a month later. Or I could just go with this guy <laughs> and he's got the power to kind of keep things rolling. You see that in this coming up, right? Verse 18, and when Jesus saw a crowd with him, he gave orders to go, to the other side, because people are seeing the perks. And a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere, nowhere to lay his head. And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. I mean, this seems, this is kind of where you get those kind of harsh statements of Jesus. It's like, what do you mean, let the be- dead bury their dead? Like, is... What Jesus is seeing in these guys who are coming to him, uh, you can imagine the guy saying, "I'll follow you, uh, Jesus, I'll follow you," and Jesus responding, "Foxes have holes, and, you know, I don't have anywhere to lay my head." <laughs> right? Uh, just so you know, uh, this is not going to. There's not a budget for your like needs and what's coming up, and to be a disciple. Right? Discipleship is not intentionally uncomfortable, but it is uncomfortable. To be a disciple of Jesus means. Not getting everything you want, not getting the things that you expect, not getting the lifestyle that you were hoping for. That's not what Jesus is holding out for them. Even though, right, you can understand, right? Just imagine from their perspective. I mean, he's just he's done all these healings. Like, certainly he's got the power to provide. But Jesus is not after their comfort. You know, so this guy, 
when we first go bury my father, what was that at the time I would have meant, meant, look, I need to fulfill my family obligations and my dad's going to die. And then I'm going to get all this money from my dad dying. And so then you kind of play that out. I've got all this money to be able to fund ministry. <laughs> She's like, no, no, no. My budget doesn't account for your comfort and I don't need your money. You need me. That's what Jesus is aiming at here. You see how these all these stories kind of lead up to this point of uh, these un, unexplained pain, but you get the king. Are right? you seeing that with me? Like the king is what they get. That follow me, verse twenty-two. Follow me. That's the main call. Don't don't manage me. Don't try to figure out how to manage my mission. Don't try to figure out how to make things a little bit easier, more comfortable. Right? I mean, we. So for example, guys, we love church. I love church government. I read stuff about church government. It's never going to, that church government does not <laughs> make Jesus' mission go forward. We kind of like follow behind and figure out, okay, how can we like just stay on the same page and do this together, right? That's, but Jesus is saying, I don't need you to do any of that. You just need me. I need you to have me so that you depend on me and my power, right? You can imagine the joy that this gives these folks, right? You don't need anything from me. I just need you. All I need is the king. I need him. Discipleship is not always comfortable, but it's not intentionally painful, right? The faith that Jesus commends in the centurion, did you notice that? Verse 10. Right? Truly, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. It's that connection. It's that hold on Jesus. That's what he's holding out for us. I want you to trust me. Not, not what you think my power can do for you. Not what you think that I should be doing. I want, I want you to have me. Right? That's the power of the King. Joy. There's a joy. There's a only. There's only a joy that you will have as a Christian when you realize God does not need anything from you, but He joyfully invites you in to have Him and to be used by Him. So one thing to consider here is we kind of like, okay, what does this mean? Where do we fit in the story? That's the one thing about these stories. You can kind of ask, where do I fit in this? One dynamic is just to consider, right? Everything that's gone wrong in your life will not always find an explanation this side of heaven. There are horrors that each of us have gone through, right? We're not going to list them all. Friends, family, horrors that we are beyond explanation, the grace of the gospel, what Jesus does when he comes to us, he does not say, I have to explain all that to you now. But he does offer himself. There's a joy in the chaos that that brings. Which also means, just as an application for us as a church, we don't always have to offer explanations for each other's pain and suffering. If you ever read the book of Job, right, Job has everything taken away from him. Sons and daughters die. Wife is telling him to curse God. He's sick beyond all, all get out. And the best thing his friends ever did was to come and sit next to him. The worst thing they did is try to offer explanations for God. God's the one calling the shots here. The king is in control. He's got the power. We need to walk beside each other to point each other to Jesus. That's the that's what we're holding out. So joy, joyfully dependent and unexplained pain means we have the king that we're depending on and not the circumstances or explanations.
All right, we're going to pick up verse 23. More miracles from Jesus. And we're going to see in the next few ones, joy, disciples joyfully depend in uncontrolled forces. So maybe these are stories that you guys are familiar with or you guys know or you guys know from art history and you see all these, you know, Rembrandt and all these pictures of, of, from Jesus' life. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him and behold, <coughs> there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? <laughs> you can, this is one of those stories where I'm kind of like, Jesus, like, give them a break. Like, they're, dr- they're about to drown. Again, who's the one that's there? Jesus is in the boat. He's the one that's with them. They should have picked up, okay, heals, sight unseen, cleanses a leper with the compassion of his hand, and control all of life's pains and sufferings. But I can relate with the disciples, right? (laughs) Jesus, my life is falling apart. Remember, Jesus is in my life. Jesus is in your life. (laughs) It's not going to go as bad as you think it is. Right At the end of the day, if the boat sinks, they still have Jesus. But you notice verse 24, and behold, there arose a great storm, an uncontrolled storm maybe you might say, as waves were swamping the boat. So let's pick up that in verse 28. And when he came to the other side of the country, of the Ganerids, sorry, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs so fierce. Again, this is where we're kind of picking up. Where, where's the heading of this coming from? Like uncontrolled forces? Well, we have an uncontrolled storm. Two fierce demons with no one, where no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with the Son of God? O Son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a, herd, now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of the pigs. And he said to them, Go. And they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down to the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, going into the city, and they told everything, especially that what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came over to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him, to leave their region. So just as a just a general observation, right? There's these demon-possessed guys who are raging against Jesus, and in a word, sends them away, can, brings calm to the chaos, and people are like, we, <laughs> please, uh, get out of town. We don't want this. You've just destroyed our economy. Yeah, you've helped these two guys, but you've just destroyed our economy. Please get out of town. <laughs> there, there's a, a rejection of Jesus in many ways. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic laying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he saw the paralytic. He said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their hearts, said, Why do you think evil, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? 
but that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Right. Uh, which is easier to, to do? To heal a guy or to forgive his sins? <laughs> to heal a guy. <laughs> to heal. But Jesus says, look, I see the chaos of what's going on, the, the brokenness of sin in your life, and that's more important. Not that physical problems aren't important, but he brings a healing, a peace to the inner dynamics for this man, right? To the uncontrolled forces of sin in his life, he says, peace to your conscience, right? So here we have the storm of nature, right? The spiritual storm, and then the inner storm, all uncontrolled forces, and Jesus brings peace, a joy that they were not expecting. And so then we see that kind of materialize effectively in the call of Matthew. And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Uh, so just one comment here. Uh, Jesus probably knew this man for an extensive period of time prior to this comment. Like We tend to read this story and we're like, oh, Jesus saw the guy and said, hey, you, follow me. Like sight unseen, like you know, like uh, what is it, what are those reality shows where they're like uh, married without, you know, like where they marry each other like the moment they see him or something like that. Like I mean, what a what is it? Married at first sight. Married at first sight. I mean, what? <laughs> I've never watched one, but I've thought I've thought like what a horrible idea. Like <laughs> you know, so this is not like be my disciple sight unseen, right? Jesus would have known this guy ahead of time. He would have known Matthew, the author of our book, and he would have known him. And yet here he comes, right, Matthew chained to the table of the chaos of sin in his own life, right? He's a tax collector. The tax collector at the time would have been a traitor to the Israelites, right? They would have been somebody that would have been, all right, it would have been like uh, somebody, your neighbor, who's been a part of your family, a part of your friends, and then he's somehow like, he's the one that the mayor picks that start picking up your money. And so he would go pick up money, and not only would he charge the tax, but then he would kind of, well, I've got to pay my bills too. And so he adds, you know, 10, 20% on top of that. So he's, you know, basically like mob extortion. That's how they would have functioned. And so here's Matthew chained at the table, not literally, but figuratively, of his own sin and the chaos of his own rejection of God. And Jesus says to him, Matthew, I know you. I want you to follow me. And then what happens? All right, this is one of my favorite moments in the life of Jesus. And as Jesus reclined at the at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners. Right, here is Jesus. Right, he has just called Matthew, and Matthew's gotten up and followed Jesus. So he's a conversion, right? I'm going to follow Jesus and not my sin. And Jesus says, party time. (laughs) We're going to celebrate mercy. We're going to celebrate grace. We're going to celebrate what God's doing in this person's life. And who comes to the party? I mean, this is incredible to me. By the way, this, the, the party probably was paid for by Matthew, right? We see this from other parts of this. So he, money that was gotten 
by sin is now used to pay for a party where Jesus and his people hang out to celebrate celebrate joy and mercy in this man's life. And who's at the table, right? Verse 10, Jesus reclined at table in the house and behold, right? So that word behold means it wasn't just kind of a few people. A lot of people showed up. And who are they? Tax collectors and sinners, right? Traitors and people who had nothing to do with church. (laughs) People who had nothing religious about them. They are the ones that come and hang out with Jesus, right? The sinners in this world, in this story, deserve the chaos of their sin. And so why celebrate? Because the king is there. (laughs) Jesus, grace, mercy, Even right now, he is the one who sits among us and says, we're going to celebrate what God's doing, and we're not going to be all morose and kind of flog our backs and think about how bad we are. (laughs) We are horrible, rotten dirtbags, just so you know. (laughs) But Jesus is among us, and so it's not as chaotic and bad as it could be, right? Jesus is there. Mercy is what Jesus celebrates, right? He does not want the mechanistic following of justice just kind of laid on top of people. He desires a celebration of mercy, right? So just so you know, when we get together to worship, we sh- there's going to be sins that we need to confess and, and ask for forgiveness for, but we want to we be happy Christians, right? New Englanders, <laughs> put a smile on your face. Jesus is good. It's not as bad as it could be. We're going to be happy about mercy, so let's just kind of finish out this section and make a couple comments and move on to the story. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away and the garment um, from the garment and the worst hair is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. But if if it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, for both are preserved. So this is a story we could get into more and more, but here's the main point. Jesus makes us new, and he fills us with joy. He doesn't use and doesn't want religiosity as a part of our life with him. He doesn't, he doesn't like when people do things just because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> he wants to fill us and free us and then call us to do the right things, right? But the orientation is to say, I desire the joy of mercy in their lives and it will be on my terms, on Jesus' terms and not on our religious terms, right? <laughs> So even these uncontrolled forces that are going on, Jesus says, I'm the one in charge. I'm the king. And my kingdom will not be bullied or oppressed by uncontrolled forces. He steps into nature. He steps into the spirits. He steps into our hearts. And he says, joy is what I want. The mercy of the king frees these people in these stories, sets them free, gives a calm, a peace, right? Notice that with the storm, peace of the storm, peace of the men who are possessed by demons, right? Peace for the paralytic, peace for Matthew. The mercy is the ground that he gives peace for, and it bursts forth joy, right? Right? You're seeing the party here, right? 
just so you know, in the Old Testament, a part of the tithe went to paying for the national parties. <laughs> Jesus, God, all the way through the Bible, loves to celebrate his mercy because he loves to say, I'm the main event. Not your religion, not church attendance. Jesus, main event. So, just a couple questions, and we'll move on in the story. Are you, do you ever have this thought when you see somebody, maybe in church or out, they don't deserve to be happy. Why are they so happy? I know what's going on in their life. They don't, they don't deserve, they don't deserve to be happy. You ever had that thought? You're like, this is not fair. I've done the hard work. I'm not as happy. <laughs> you realize hard work is not a correlation to happiness. Jesus is a direct correlation to happiness. Jesus is who gives us joy. And it's not deserved. There's people who are in our lives or people who are going to be a part of the church who are going to come to Jesus and you're going to say, why are they so happy? Because they've gotten Jesus One other application of this that we need to think about, what does it mean for our mission and our lives together with non-Christians in our lives, with people who don't know Jesus yet, that Jesus sat down at this party? You see, all the joys of our lives, the good things that we enjoy, right, they're all little heavens, little foretaste of heavens. Now they become terrible idols when we try to suck heaven out of them. Sorry, I'm hearing the children in there. <laughs> we just acknowledge the kids. <laughs> David, our faithful manager. <laughs> it's probably mine. I'm sorry. All these things that we enjoy in life, they're all little tastes of heaven, right? They're all little heavens that we like, and they're good. They're God's good gifts. But they are always intended to point us back to the giver, right? So when Jesus throws a party... He's throwing a party for people who don't know God to enjoy the things that they enjoy, to direct their attention back to the God that has given those things, right? So when you hang out and with friends and you have a good beer or you're having a good food or you're enjoying a good game or you're watching something that you enjoy together, that's okay. We should celebrate and enjoy the good things that our friends enjoy who don't know Jesus. But we're there to know them and to direct to the giver. I, that's my experience with my friends who don't know Jesus. Uh, we're just going to say this out loud. Many of you know that I like to smoke cigars, and I'll smoke a cigar for Jesus, and I'll talk to John, my friend, and say, John, Jesus has been good to me this week. And John knows that I've been his friend for over two years, and that he knows that I enjoy the same things. We're at the party together, right? Directing attention back to Jesus. Jesus wants to use the pleasures of our lives to direct our friends who don't know him back to the giver, who then is the one who steps in and brings peace to the chaos, right? Because joy is, the reason we all, would go, we all go to these joys in our lives is because we want a little bit of some peace from the chaos, right? Food, drink, sex, alcohol, those things are not going to provide peace from the chaos. They point to the one who does, right? The king Disciples joyfully depend on the king. All right, can we end out the story? You guys hanging with me? We're going to end out the story here. All right. Carolyn's hanging with me at least. So disciples joyfully depend 
on the cane, joyful depend for the unknown future. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. Come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came to before him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly this woman was made well. We don't know what the details were of what was going on, but it was chronic and bad, and it was going to go worse. And here she comes to Jesus. And just, I, I just, just the out, just the, the, the hem, the, the stray thread from his clothes. I just, just, if I touch it, if I get near him, he'll heal me. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, right? So at the time they would have had like professional people who would have shown up and, you know, made a big deal about death. And, um, he said, go away, for this girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl rose. <coughs> and the report of this went out through all the district. So here's the main point. In the hands of Jesus, death is only a nap. When Jesus comes to this girl, the other gospels say, he says, little girl, wake up. It's basically saying, honey, get up. The death that consumes us and causes despair and we all fear, Jesus treats like a nap, like a Sunday afternoon nap. You're going to go home after this, you're going to think, that was the best sermon I ever heard, best friends I ever hung out with, and I'm going to take a nap for Jesus. And you're going to wake up two hours later, feel refreshed. And Jesus treats death, which we all fear, as a little nap. says, my son or daughter, it's time to get up. In the hands of Jesus, death is but a nap. And our suffering is made, made well. So then we have this last section. And Jesus passed on from there. Two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, that it may it be done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows of it. But they went away and spread the fame throughout all the district. And as they were going away, behold, a demon-possessed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowd marveled, saying, never has anything like this been done in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. So here we are, we're ending a question of Jesus' authority. That's why we're kind of putting all these together and rushing through all these stories together to see Jesus' authority provokes the question, do you depend on him? And if you depend on him, joy is what he gives you, is what births in you. But you notice, I don't know if you picked up on this, and we'll, we'll, we'll comment on this and then we'll be done. Verse 30, their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. I mean, notice this at the beginning of our section that we were looking at when Jesus heals the leper. Verse 4 of chapter 8, and he said to them, see that you say nothing to anyone. Right, this is called the secrecy dynamic of Matthew. Like, Jesus always is saying, don't say anything to anybody. 
So what's going on with that? Well, just imagine what we've just, just, just pick up on what we've been talking about, right? Jesus, what? <laughs> Healed the, the, the biggest afflictions of the time, right? So leprosy, like what's the correlation today? HIV? Heals the biggest diseases of the time, right? He has power over the storms to calm them, right? He throws a party with sinners and draws them into God's kingdom. He raises the dead and he does it all without having to be present, right? If he was a political campaign, Jesus has got his platform set, right? <laughs> his platform, right? He works with you. He's with the workers' union, right? The servant that he healed, right? He's on their terms, right? Uh, he hasn't provided food yet, but presumably he could provide food, right? Global warming, he's got it set because he can calm the storms, right? And healthcare, right? He raises the dead, <laughs> right? There's nothing that can get past him. Break him the king. Come on, let's get this over with. We talked about this before. Jesus won't have it on his terms. The reason he says, keep this secret, is that his mission, yes, he came to heal, but he came for a deeper healing. He came, remember, with the paralytic, to forgive sins. And so he will not have his mission diverted or controlled by our expectations. In your life, he won't have your, his mission in your life controlled or diverted by your expectations. He came to save sinners, people who had rejected God, who were, like the little girl, dead in our sins. And so Jesus will go up on the cross, and he will lose the grip of the Father, and he will die in our place for the many sins in which we have given a finger to God and pushed out to God and rejected him, and he will be laid down in a grave, and he will rise up so that we will not be controlled or in fear or in punishment of our sins ever again. Jesus did that because the king knows that we need true, deep, lasting joy and mercy. And so he took our punishment. He took our place. <laughs> that Isaiah passage, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. He was afflicted by our sins so that we could be freed from them. He's the king that he holds out to us. He himself stands in the midst of the uncontrolled forces of our sin, of the forces in our life that make no sense. Why is this happening? Why do I have to keep having to go through this? Why does this keep coming up? The things that don't seem to be resolving quickly, right? Will this ever change? Will this ever get better? The things that we don't know about the future, will my business survive? Will I be able to provide for my family? Will I be able to go to school? Will I be able to live? <laughs> What's going to happen when I die? All of our fears. Jesus stands in the midst of them and as a powerful king who's compassionate with us, he says, I got you. And there's a joy that comes in that, depending on that type of king. So I don't know where you're at with Jesus this morning, but I, I plead with you, depend on this Jesus because he will have you. He'll take anybody. And you, as you depend on him, just like each of these people in this story, will find a joy that only comes from knowing the king. Disciples joyfully depend on the king. So let's pray for that. Father, as we look to your word and we see the story of Jesus, our king, who's powerful over so many things,
We need his power in our lives right now. Right now, God. And so we pray that you would give us your spirit, that we would depend on this Jesus and know his joy. Because he is good and powerful. So Lord, I pray that as we think about our lives, we would depend on him, depend on a daily basis. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.